Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. It's tempting to focus on our goals and try to push quickly past the intermediate stages as we move from one state to another. But acknowledging those liminal spaces is a necessary part of the process. John DeWall is a coach who specializes in helping people learn how to give a name to their endings, respect their transitions, and celebrate their new beginnings. In this episode of Hack the Process, John will tell us what convinced him to leave a practical career that supported him and his family to pursue an unsure path as a coach, where he found the personal support to build a business and a client base, and how his faith informs the work he does with people of all backgrounds. So today I'm talking with John DeWall, and he is a coach, and he works with Liminal Space. John, how are you doing today? I am well. Thanks for having me. No, I'm glad to meet you. And I was reading a little bit about Liminal Space. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? Yeah, so Liminal Space, I've been at this now for eight years, and it's an organization that works solely with people who are navigating major life transitions. And those are transitions of all kinds, everything from career and life discontent to stages of life having to do with things like divorce or empty nesting or kids coming into the mix, kids leaving the home, and then retirement is another common one. So a variety of different kinds of transitions that I work in. And my younger clients are in their early 20s and my older are up to 70, 80. Wow, that's quite a range. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's very interesting to see how some of the questions that the young folks are asking are very similar to what the older folks are asking. Maybe that's part of the, all of us are, are asking that question, what do I want to be? Who do I want to become when I grow up? It's a good question to never let die, I think. And you specialize in transitions, don't you? Yes, life transitions. Tell me a little bit more about what that is and how that works for you. Yeah, so I say, you know, like we all go through these changes in life. I think to, to be human is to go through change. And yet transition is something different. Transition is that space between something changing or shifting in our life and what comes next hasn't quite revealed itself. So there's a lot of waiting and not knowing and a lot of now what questions and why questions and how questions and things that just hold a lot of pondering. And for many, a lot of unwanted emotions and challenging problems and constraints. And that's the space that I think most of us find ourselves in regularly as we move through life. And what we teach here at Liminal Space is that this isn't space that we should avoid. It's a discipline that we need to learn how to wait in that space. And that's a key point because it, it is engaged and treated like it's almost a nuisance in our culture. And that the really good stuff is on the other side of the transition when you reach the dream job or, you know, the great plan for retirement. And that's, I mean, all that stuff is so good and so important to, to discover and name. But what about the space where you actually sit in that, that question that's been gnawing at you and you spend time really figuring it out. That's where I think the really good stuff gets named and declared and moved towards eventually. But without that, where would it be? So we just see transition as a as a seed, as a bed of ground for really good seeds to be planted, really good treasures to be found. 
So when you talk about transition coaching, you're not necessarily talking about coaching people how to get to the other side of a transition, but rather how to live in that transition and experience it. Very much so. Yeah. And eventually, I know there's a part of me that's Dutch and I, I have a pragmatic, practical piece to my work. People do need plans. You know, what are the steps I need to take to get from here to there based on what I've discovered and named I want to be and, and what I want to pursue? That's that's important work. But First, please wait and stay as long as you can until you figure out how this time is supposed to transform you. And that's the harder task, but I think that's the the, the better task for, for most. And I don't think that modern society teaches us the patience to sit and wait that way. Nope. Nope. That's, yes, very true. I'm, I'm curious, uh, what, what drew you to that? What made you think about that as something that you wanted to focus on? Well, so when I originally moved out to Seattle, the plan was I would go to a graduate school that equips people in various forms of psychology and also those that have the spiritual piece for theology. And so it's a it's a degree that I thought I would get and I would go start, you know, an organization, whether it be a, a faith-based organization or I would go work for an organization. But nearing the end of graduate school, my wife was pregnant. Literally months before graduation, we find out that she's going to be due five months after pre- after graduation. We had just bought a condo. This was in 2007. So, you know, the market here, you know, tanked just like everywhere else. And, and so all these pressures were mounting regarding graduating soon and school loans and on and on and on. And the primary question I kept focusing on is how am I going to pay for all this? How am I going to afford to live? Well, that's that's what prompted me, the, the myopic focus on those questions related to money. That's what prompted me to start a business, a contracting business of all things. And so I, I wound up starting a painting contracting business, commercial and residential. I had a crew of guys working for me and I did that for about four years. But it was a hard four years of paying bills, being good at something that I didn't like ultimately. And it wasn't why I moved out to Seattle. There's this felt sense of the, the dreams are getting further and further away. And I'm in a context where I'm watching others do it, like pursue their dreams. And so this, the, the felt sense of being left behind or profoundly stuck. I would say that for me was a, a liminal space, a season of waiting and not knowing and rather growing discouraged, resentful and bitter at times as I watched others step into their desires and dreams. Well, it's about that time that I fell off a roof. Oh, yeah. Four years into the painting business, I fell off a roof. It was about a 10 or so f- foot fall, but it was right onto concrete and I crushed my ankle. Ouch. Yeah. And it led to five months on the couch, three surgeries to get it put back together. I got a lot of metal in one of my one of my ankles and up my foot and it was a mess. And it put my family through all kinds of financial trouble, career trouble. Like, what am I going to do now? This is not what I want to do. And I remember in the emergency room that first night, just like with a friend crying, saying like this, I I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I was talking about contracting, but I think I was talking about something much deeper, like ignoring these, these parts of my heart and story that, that hadn't seen enough light. And I think contracting is good work. It's great work for someone to commit to and find their passion in, but it wasn't mine. And that's what I began to start owning was that that was not my passion. And my passion was more so working with people working with people who are profoundly stuck. 
I couldn't articulate it that well back then, but I knew as I started to unpack some of these questions that there was something there related to how I wanted to impact the world around me, the fingerprints I wanted to leave in the lives of those I was interacting with. And it led me to take my own journey through the questions I was asking, not by myself. I had some great friends and mentor at the time who helped unpack those questions, give me homework, challenge me to go digging deeper and not just commiserate over coffee or drinks they really helped me mine my story and my work and my purpose. They, I think, were the critical ingredient to making a new story practically unfold. So that's where it kind of all, for me, that season of, of life of discontent and accentuated by a really painful experience on many levels. But that's what really prompted a different story to unfold. The, the, that frustration that you mentioned about doing something that you're good at, but that doesn't inspire you. I, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, very much so. Back in 2007 or eight, the number of contractors in this region that went out of business was, was really, really high. And I made it. And I'm proud of the fact that I made it. But at the same time, I, I see this all the time with the folks that I work with, where they'll sit across from me and say, for the last 15 years, I've been doing X, Y, and Z, and I'm really good at it. I'm paid really well for it, but it is sucking the marrow out of my bones. I am, my, my soul is withering and I don't know how much more I can do this. And you hear somebody telling you a story like that and you just want to try to help them. Very much so, right? Because you see also where the story can keep going another 10 years can go by like that, you know, then it becomes harder and harder as more and more things get in the way. Well, I would love to dig into that transition that you went through, because it sounds like breaking your ankle and having those five months on the couch, you had a chance to, to think about what you wanted to do next. But you also didn't try to just go it alone and force something to happen. You were out there reaching out to your network and finding these people. I'd love you to tell us a little bit more about how that worked in your life. Yeah, well, it, I, sh I should say that it started by watching a, a lot of Netflix because, <laughs> I mean, honestly, with the, the, the level of pain and trauma and the challenge of those questions, like who wouldn't want to dissociate from that? And I think that's something that I can just so relate to when people are talking to me about how much how challenging it is for them to step into this. And there's a certain level of shame that comes in our culture, too. You know, when you feel stuck and you don't know how to find your way forward, you feel like you did something wrong or something is very wrong and you're to blame. So there was a fair amount of like, guy, this is too much and I don't know what to do. And again, had it not been for a few key individuals who not only could help because they were equipped to help, they believed in who I was and what I was capable of, who they saw me and who I could become with my future. So there was one exercise that I did um, that I think was probably the most powerful. And it's what I also put through, put most of my clients through. So I did this exercise called Stories from the Future, where essentially I write, I wrote four stories from the future, three to five years from that point in my life. The premise of the story is, let's say you're the client, David, and or you're me, and I run into someone at a coffee shop three to five years from now, and we both know you. And they are like, I'm like, no way, how do you know David? And they go on to tell me the story of your impact on their life. So it's less about stories from the future regarding, you know, I want to have this job and this many kids and this wife and this car and this, you know, all these things. It's not about the, you know, the resume building kind of story. It's about your impact, the fingerprints that you leave on others in the way you go about doing and leading your life. And so I did that exercise. I wrote four stories. And at the time, I, I could not see the connection 
connections. I don't know why my mentor friend was having me do this, but to him, it was really important work. So I trusted him to do that. And as we read the stories, we met at a hotel nearby in the lobby, right by a fireplace. And the themes that emerged from those stories were provoke, So in all the stories, I was provoking individuals with really great questions. There was a sense of invitation. So there was me inviting a new story in their life and exploring that with them. And there was restoration. There was a movement towards them feeling like they were getting unstuck and a variety of different tools and exercises and and more importantly, conversations that were ongoing to help move them forward were happening in all of these stories. And they were all happening during major life transitions. So one story was about a, you know, a young man who was just floundering career wise. Another was about a widow whose spouse had recently passed away and just lost and not sure where to go next in her life. Another was a couple who was new to the city and they were going through some conflict within their marriage. And so I had all these different stories and those were the themes that emerged. And I I could not have seen that without other people's eyes on that. And out of that came experiments. So the experiment was, I am going to go start meeting with people on a once a month, two times a month basis. And I'm going to start listening to the space that they're in, whatever the transition in their life is, whatever change is going on in their life. And I'm going to give them some homework. I'm going to challenge them to go have this conversation or explore X, Y, and Z. And we're going to keep doing this for a period of months and see where our conversations lead. And am I enjoying the work? Are they getting something out of it? We're going to measure some of that as the conversations unfold. And I'm going to do that with my mentor at the time. So all of that came out of that exercise. And that was doing that work at the same time as I was doing contracting. So I would go paint and get my crew started in the morning. And then I would find a bathroom and change. I'd do a uniform switch and get as much paint off as possible. And then go to a Starbucks or a a quiet corner somewhere and start meeting with these people. And so, you know, all of that began to happen. And all of a sudden, people were starting to call more frequently. And some were starting to pay. And, And then I asked for a certain hourly rate. And those kinds of things began to happen over the course of an eight, nine, nine month period where when I fell off the roof, it became easier for me at that point to say, I want to do this full time. I want to throw myself more at this work and see where it could lead me. So that's where some of the mining for me happened in those early months, trying to figure out like, how do I do what I do? What are the, what's the residue of my life that I want to impart upon others as I work with them? And practically speaking, how am I going to experiment to see where, where this is happening, where there is life with how I desire to bring myself to others? I have almost all of my clients, with whatever the transition may be, experimentation is huge. Getting them out there doing stuff. I can hear that. And you know, clearly experimenting yourself with, with the way that you were doing this, that, that was essential to getting you started. You were working for people for free to start with. But I'm curious how you found potential clients. So I put an email together along with my mentor and we sent it out to as many people as we could that we trusted and knew had had something of a heart for me. And he also, you know, cashed in some equity with his network and just said, 
you know, who do you know that's going through a significant change in their life and could use a, someone who could be something of a Sherpa, walk alongside them for a season, do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of counseling, kind of a blend of those things. Perhaps they might even bring their faith into the conversation. Let's, do you know anyone that may be interested in that? And it was actually really quick to find some some people, some initial guinea pigs, especially when you say free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does make a difference. Yeah. And so it, it started that way. But talk about a, an exercise in vulnerability because, you know, there's easily the, the voices that tell you like, oh, but you don't have a coaching certificate and you don't have all of these credentials that validate the very, you know, existence of you in the conversation with them. And a lot of that's you know, pardon the word bullshit, like get in the conversation that you most want to be in and start, start doing it. Certificates are important. Credentials are important. I'm not voting against those, but most people use that as an excuse to not begin or get the piece of paper before you have a single conversation with someone that has to do with coaching or, or counseling or whatever it may be. So I'm a huge proponent for just begin, start, start somewhere, get some data that tells you this is a good path to go down. Yes, it's true. Sometimes the only way to learn some of these skills and, and particularly some of these interpersonal skills is to get face to face with people and start working with them. Although, of course, you, you did have your, your studies beforehand. Yeah, I got my master's in theology or master's of divinity at the Seattle schools where I attended. But afterwards, I also got a chance to teach as an adjunct professor on career and calling at the at the graduate school and served as a fellow also for the Allender Center, getting some training on how to lead groups and some of the more counseling oriented pieces to what I do, really helping me step into people's stories a little bit more wisely and and graciously and tactfully. Yeah, I, I was thinking that there is a danger. It's possible to go in and you know cause a lot of damage. Words can cause damage when you when you're not skilled at how you use them. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, words can really help set a person free, or they can spin them up into a lot more turmoil. And so, choosing words wisely is huge. I'm curious, speaking of choosing, how you chose your mentor, because it sounds like this person was was a remarkable source of support in these early days as you're getting your own transition started. It was quite a quite a path to get to that point where I could even begin to say, yeah, I think he is my mentor. It actually came <laughs> during a class that I was taking that he was teaching. It was on leadership. And it was certainly an opportunity for me to sit underneath him as a student and recognize like the sheer brilliance and heart that this man brings to the to the table to know that I wanted that. But it was over a series of, you know, a lunch here, a coffee there, no real rhythm to it. But then I think more as I got the courage to ask things like, will you help me make this decision? Or I'm not sure how to move forward with this this question I'm asking. And some of it was at the time related to my contracting business, though I think he had some ulterior motives to get me out of contracting <laughs> and doing the work <laughs> I'm doing now. But it was more of an organic unfolding. But I think the thing that really is critical is the continued desire that I, I recognized within me that I needed this, that I wanted it, that I was going to vulnerably ask for it and get on his calendar and his schedule, even though there's that voice that says, oh, I'm so busy and you don't want to be an inconvenience and you know all that stuff that's clamoring in the background that, that would keep a person, keep me from emailing or calling or asking. But I just kept asking because I, I knew that I needed it. I knew I needed help to get unstuck. And I, I say this regularly, like transformation is not a solo act. 
You need more people on your team helping you figure it out, challenging you, asking better questions than the ones that you're asking, not refuting them or saying they're not important, but there's often much better questions beneath the ones that feel most pressing. And he has been that as well as others, but to have that consistent person to press into and then against you and challenge and invite of my voice forward has been just invaluable. So, so important. When you started working with it, was this a professional relationship with him or was it just a personal relationship? It was more of a, I guess you could say professional because he was my professor. That's how it started. But I never had to pay him for his mentorship, if that's what you mean. And that was what I was asking. And, you know, a lot of people at that liminal stage, at that, that point in their lives when they're in transition, sometimes they look to a friend and sometimes they look to a professional coach and there are advantages to going both ways. I agree. Yeah. Especially if you can't find a friend who has the ability to set aside their agenda for your life and and listen, (laughs) which is often the case, or they're just too afraid to speak into your life and they just commiserate. So I, I think it really is dependent upon who the person is and what their community has looked like over the years to determine whether they need to hire a pro with whatever the transition may be, or maybe they already have a really good network of folks that can step in and for a season help guide a discernment process. And the thing is that I find with with a lot of folks is they just need some help identifying how to do that. A pro is really helpful, but it's really for the most part, could you find a few friends that bring different perspectives, different professional background that could help sharpen the conversation and direct and point you in a good onto a good path. And a lot of times when I work with folks, they're still seeing me regularly, but almost from the beginning, I invite them to think about who are three or four people in your life. They don't have to be your BFFs, but three or four people who you know have that ability to set aside their agenda and can listen ask good questions. You could bring them some data, bring them some stories, like bring them the moments where you are just most thrilled and and feel connected to your achievements and some record setting moments in your life and share those stories with them and ask them, what do you see? What do you see in my stories that I've brought here? And I insist on clients writing those stories, getting them write that down write it down. And and often there's several iterations of, of the story before that's brought to those members on their team. So yeah, I'm just a huge proponent for, it's just not supposed to be a solo journey. You need a pro at times. And sometimes it's, it's both pros and a smaller community that for a season can have different eyes on you. I really like that you focus on helping people build up a team of people. It's, that's something that not a lot of coaches really talk about, although everybody, you know, you pay lip service to the value of having a network, but making making that part of the coaching process so that there's a, a transition away from working with the professional coach into your own network. Yep. And I'm always concerned about the the current transition that, that a person's facing, whatever that may be. But I would love to equip people for the next transition as well. Like, Forming some tools and, a, and an approach to transition, the discipline of transition, that that is the tool they carry forward with them. And community is just one element of the discipline. It's an important one, and it's often underdeveloped for most people. But yeah, for sure, developing that coalition of folks that can journey with you. And you speak to a very critical point. A lot of people come to a coach because they want help with a problem. But what the coach really needs to help them with is learning how to deal with problems in general. <laughs> Correct. Right. Right. We can solve that problem. But what about the next time you have a problem that services? How will you address that? So, yeah, the approach is huge. Well, how do you structure your coaching sessions? How do you work with clients? What is your process? 
Generally, when I work with folks, I say it's a six-month minimum journey, and we meet a couple of times a month, and sometimes three, depending on the nature and complexity of the transition. And I really look at three phases of the journey. Some of this is based off of William Bridges and the work that he wrote about on managing transitions is the name of the, of the text. And he refers to three phases of the journey, ending is the first phase, neutral zone, and then the new beginning. And so just briefly, all three of those ending or letting go is about acknowledging the change that has occurred. Often that's about like naming why it was important and experiencing the appropriate kinds of grief that go with that, feeling things that are appropriate to the ending or the loss. You know, for example, I've got a client right now who's retiring, literally told his boss a couple of weeks ago that he's retiring. And and he was on his most recent last business trip to another country that he's gone to dozens of times before. But he's aware that I am having conversations conversations with folks for the last time in this setting, in this way, as this professional and feeling the sadness. And he was writing about it in an email to me the other day and just how how significant it is to, to be in this kind of moment with these folks and know that he's going to deeply miss this person, this colleague. And so a big part of my work with individuals on the front end of a journey is to name what is ending or what needs to be let go of. You know, maybe it's the old job that you had. Maybe it's the maybe it's the spouse, whether that's the divorce or the death, whatever it may be. Maybe it's the bitterness and the resentment that you've had against others for their pursuit of their dreams and you sitting on yours. So there's all kinds of levels of letting go that we explore and name. In the middle is this neutral zone, which that's the space that holds a lot of wondering, a lot of considering about the possibilities. When that work doesn't happen, the word that most often gets associated to that middle neutral zone is stuck. And quite often that work of getting unstuck has to do with simply naming what the ending is and the work of ending. That's the work that most people want to avoid. So if they're feeling stuck and confused, it's likely we have to do some work back here that has to do with the ending and the letting go. So the neutral zone is about exploring possibility and wondering about what that could be. That's where experimentation occurs. That's where stories from the future occur. Sometimes it's equipping them with knowledge about themselves before we can dream about possibilities. It's the, you know, I don't know what I'm good at. Okay, let's take some assessments. Let's, you know, strengths finder, standout, the whole barrage of uh, assessments that we could take to give you some language and then connect that to your story and then dream about the future and do stories from the future. And then, of course, the new beginning is about after experiment experimentation. It's about making some commitments. And I also invite people at that time to celebrate, which is something that most people skip over fast. So let's celebrate some of these arrivals that you're, you're having and mark those appropriately. And so I challenge folks to not only find the new beginning through going through the first two phases, the ending and letting go in the neutral zone, but like, let's really mark what we've discovered during this time and who you've become and the choices you made because the courage that's been forming and welling up within you. Those are broadly the three phases that I journey with people in. Each one of them has different practical work and emotional work and different forms of uh, assignments and reflection work to do. But that's broadly like that's the journey that I take people on. And it sounds like this journey that you take people on is something that's evolved through working with clients. It's not something that you came to right away. Not at all. No. But I will say this, like a big part of the work that I do is informed by my faith. 
you know, I think about what happens in that space of confusion for a lot of folks. And there's this wonderful story in the text that I think is just really powerful of the of the, the people of Israel moving through the wilderness to get to the promised land. So if I translate that to the journey and the process I take people on, it's like, okay, no one really wants to go through Good Friday, but that's part of the journey. And no one wants to be stuck in Saturday, but that's also part of the journey. And to get to Sunday, you got to go through all three days. All three are their own their own unique days with their own unique kinds of work. Though this this process and all the practical work and all the assignments and the homework has evolved over time, it's deeply informed by something that I resonate with with regards to what I think all this is about. What I sense is the purpose of these seasons of transition. Yeah, I was curious about how your faith plays into this because I know you you have a master's of divinity and you know clearly that's something that informed a lot of the study that went into the work that you're doing regardless of whether somebody comes from a background of faith religion provides a wealth of metaphors that we share that can be used to apply to our lives. You know, you, you don't have to believe the stories in order to be able to understand the, the meaning behind them. Totally. Yeah. A lot of my clients bring some form of faith to this process. And I, I don't shove my faith down any client's throat. But it's so interesting to me how often questions of belief and who God is and what this is all about, they just come up because questions related to how am I going to make a living in this world? And why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Just it spills into these deeper areas that have, have everything to do with spirituality. And so I love how that happens. And very much so it deeply informs why I'm doing what I'm doing, even though there's not an agenda to, you know, quote unquote, save a person. My work is to just meet them wherever they're at and be a source of light in their life, a surrogate of hope, help carry what they aren't able to carry at this moment until they're able to carry it on their own and eventually find whatever that empty tomb looks like for them. I wonder if you find that being part of an organized religion also provides a different vector for networking and for increasing the the scope of people who can be in your life who can be supportive. Yeah, I mean, very much so. If there is a shared language, a shared beliefs structure, system, or even, of course, community, how much more good that can be when you're going through something as an individual. Of course, the challenge is, is like most faith communities don't set themselves up that way. Most churches that I want to say too many broad sweeping statements about big church in general, but many don't don't sit there and scratch their heads about how to practically, emotionally and psychologically and spiritually help move their people through transitions. And more so there's the how we create programs and things that attract people to our church. And when you sit in a faith community and you just know all the stories that are happening there day after day, week after week, there's probably, you know, give me five minutes with anyone and I could identify a transition they're going through and where they could use some help. And so many of us, I think, are just scared of stepping in to that vulnerable place where people need help. And so we try to pray our way through it, whatever the discipline might be. Some of that is is very good and necessary, but I, I think the church in general could do a much better job of guiding people through seasons of change and transition. I think that what you say is true of churches, religions. It's true of nonprofit organizations, volunteer organizations. It's much easier to solve a problem that you know how to address, like how to get more members or how to get more donations, than it is to solve the real problems of the people who are involved. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah, you got to get a little bit more messy in some of those deeper questions. Absolutely. So you you personally, I mean, you had this experience where you went through your five-month quest to find transition in your own life. Clearly, your, your life had to change patterns. I'm curious. 
curious what your what routines you've started establishing in your life to help support the way that you're doing things these days. Yeah. So, you know, initially when I was getting started with this practice, you know, I would essentially take anyone with a pulse, right? Like, <laughs> and so there was a lot of unstructured time and it's different nowadays because I, you know, I have a, a waiting list and a lot of people that would want to do one-on-one work. And we have a number of workshops now that we've launched at our learning center and different kinds of organizational transition work that we're doing. And I noticed you're also using the, the first person plural, not singular. So this is no longer you, this is we. Right. There's a we because Liminal Space is a nonprofit and I've got a working board and volunteers and we'll be bringing more staff on in the future. So it's, it's grown beyond me. So more recently, I've had to create more pockets of time in my schedule that I protect and guard, especially around things like writing and creating and reading. Things that keep my mind thinking, things that are about um, writing, especially to build my own sense of what my platform is, uh, expanding the influence of this organization more and more, getting, getting our stuff out there more and more. And that has to come through largely me. So, and that's a hard thing. That's a hard discipline to do. But I've, you know, set my schedule more recently to only see clients three days a week. And two of those days are set aside solely for the purposes of writing and creating. That's wonderful. Uh, so so your routine then is three days a week of seeing clients, two days a week of writing. I'm assuming the weekend is your time. It is. Yeah, I've got three kids and they're still all, you know, 10 and under. So uh, the demands there on that front are, are rather high. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, as a dad, like I, I, I want to be there. I want to I want. I want that with them. I want them to have, you know, strong memories of dad being present, especially on the weekends. And But there's some challenging disciplines, I think, during challenging to form, especially around things like technology. I think that is one of the harder things, like to say, you know, my wife and I, we're going to set our phones down and from 530 to 8, not touch them. <laughs> that we're going to just spend time together as a family over dinner or on the weekends. I'm not going to be consumed with wondering about the next email that, that needs to be addressed or responded to, to set things on, on pause. And, and, you know, that's an important discipline that I think is hard to, to form and maintain with all of the things clamoring for our attention these days. Absolutely. And it's certainly, it's, it's important to set that role model for your children as well. For sure. They're always watching. Yeah, my my four year old just the other day, I was checking an email in the middle of my day, and he was there standing next to me, and he wanted to get my attention. He said, "Look in my eye. Put your phone down." <laughs> and he's and he's like three, he's turning four in like a month. They're watching. I, I bet I know where he learned that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, totally. <laughs> That's awesome. And so you set aside time for reading. I'm curious, who you're reading? Whom do you follow? Authors that I love. Richard Rohr is one of my favorites. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a one of those theologians that lands theology in the practical elements of life in a lovely way. He also is the one of the individuals I read who has referenced liminal space frequently, not us as an organization, but the concept. So I can't tell you the number of people that find my website because they heard that Richard Rohr, writer, teach about it. So it's wonderful. Rob Bell is another one that I love, another great teacher of the day. William Bridges is another author. He's written about, about quite a bit about transition. And then David White is one of my all-time favorites. David White wrote a book called Crossing the Unknown Sea, Work as a Pilgrimage of Identity. I think as far as books go, it's one of the better ones to read, to reframe this journey of calling and purpose around not so much the certainty of, I know exactly where I'm heading and what my life is pointing at, 
but more in terms of, I have a firm persuasion. I have the clues that I know I'm supposed to be following and plotting your life forward holistically, not these siloed places of your life where, you know, my calling is is this in my in my life and it's only my career. No, it doesn't I don't think callings work that way. Callings are more all encompassing and not contained by one thing, but knowing what that firm persuasion is. David White has done some excellent writing on that. It's an interesting thing because you get back to the religion and the faith. It feels that a lot of the mythology in our society is driven around the idea that you have the one true calling and that's the only thing that you do. And that's a hard thing for people to let go of. It is. Yeah. Especially when you hear phrases like, you were born to do this. I mean, we see that all the time on American Idol and The Voice and all these other shows that we all love. And I could say on one level, uh, it feels so good to say that, and, and maybe it perhaps is true, but what they were born to do is take that gift that they've been given and do something with it. Now, whether that lands in a particular career path, you know, that's a separate conversation, but you, sh- you sure need to be faithful with naming and tending and nurturing and cultivating those gifts and pointing them towards something that is about something way beyond just your life, your life in the service of something other than just your pleasure and your joy. If you are doing that well, it will inevitably bless those around you. It does come down to service for a lot of people and people don't don't realize the importance of service in life. I agree. The business that you've created now, it's in a state and it's obviously everything's always in transition. Where it is now, where do you think it's going next? Well, I think where we're heading is, so we we launched a learning center about a year and a half ago and we're getting all of that on online now. We're moving some of those courses online this year. And so that's definitely in the more short term where I think things are going to be heading so that people can take these courses that we do whenever they want, but also that we're looking to bring on more facilitators of our workshops, different experts in a variety of different fields that that are about a, a certain element of transition. So we'll have workshops on self-care during life transitions and workshops on how to navigate the complexity of finances during transition. So we're doing some of that work to increase our network with facilitators, where I hope we go more long-term is to see liminal spaces in other cities. And I think that will happen in the next three or four years. So building partnerships with others who want to start liminal space, Milwaukee or wherever. Because I just think this this space of transition, I think what we've chosen to do as far as blending disciplines. So I say it's a blend of counseling, coaching, spiritual direction, and career direction or career counseling. Those four things, I mean, people often have to go find four people to do all those conversations. And there's definitely an argument to be made for that. But I also think there's those individuals who don't want to go to four different people and could borrow elements from all those conversations to have with one person. And that's what we're trying to create here that I think is a a little bit unique in its value proposition that we keep hearing again and again from clients and folks that this is good. Like to bring these together is good. I want to know my story. I not. I want to know how I got here and how the hell does that fit within what I do with my career? <laughs> in some ways, it's very hard to find a single person who can manage all, all four of those. But on the other hand, life is a holistic thing and they are very interconnected. And you know, the thing about this work too, David, is as I work with folks initially, especially, you know, they might come in and say, you know, a little bit about themselves and we get into their story and they share like X, Y, and Z happened to me. I, I was abused as a child and somehow that comes up into our conversation or I have an, an addiction to whatever the addiction might be. Those are things that as someone who's journey alongside them, I'll 
say, you know, I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to know where we should probably go, but we need to bring in an expert here to help you focus on that part of your life and story. So we're not trying to be the the, the solution for all these things for a client or anyone that walks in this door, but we are trying to borrow from all four elements, counseling, coaching, spiritual direction, and career direction to help people get unstuck. And then when we need pros ourselves, have good partnerships so that we can can set people up with them when needed. Have you been extending your services to online as well? I do. Yeah, I see uh, probably about half of my client base right now I see through Zoom across the country. It actually is a very valuable tool. At first, I was a little hesitant to do it just because, you know, not in the same room. And that's always my preference to be in the same room with someone. But it has worked remarkably well with the technology nowadays and sharing screens and being able to capture things on smart boards and share that with clients online. So there's there's all kinds of great tools that make that possible. And we live in an amazing time and taking advantage of it multiplies our, our abilities tremendously. That's for sure. Yeah, it's good. So I'm curious how people can find you because I think people are going to going to want to find out more about your services after they hear this. How, where, where do you recommend people go to find your your writings, your publications? Well, our website is probably the best place to do that in a liminal space.org. And you'll, we have a blog on there. And in a few months, we'll have a podcast as well. So we're excited about launching. Those are the places that I would direct people to. And they can get a hold of me there. My contact information is there. And I'd be happy to meet and talk with anyone. Okay, well, John, in the liminal space.org, I will definitely send people there and I'll be putting information about that in the show notes for this episode as well. Thank you so much for, for joining us today and for sharing your story. You bet. Thanks for having me, David. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process. Leave a review for the show on iTunes and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening.